Hello and welcome back to the Revolution Watch podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Kuro, and joining me as always is my co-host, Stephanie Ip. Hi. This week we're talking about aviation watches. And our guest for this episode is none other than the prominent watch collector, Fred Mandelbaum. Now, if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you might perhaps be a bit more familiar with his online social media handle, which is at WatchFred. I think it's fair to say that once you start collecting watches, you start to really understand what you like and what you gravitate towards. And for Fred, from the start, he already had an affinity for chronographs. But once he starts getting into it a bit more after collecting a few more brands, he quickly developed a love for Breitling chronographs. And so what most people know about Breitling is its connection to aviation. But what fewer people might be aware of is that since the very beginning in 1884, Leon Breitling was already specialized in making chronographs and timers used for measurement in sports, science and professional industries at his workshop in Saint-Imier in Switzerland. His son invented the first wrist chronograph with a separate push piece in 1915, and his grandson took it a step further by filing a patent for the world's first two-pusher chronograph in 1934. So ever since George Kern took over, Breitling has been on a mission to reconnect with its roots. And George, being the savvy marketer that he is, he knew the right people to reach out to, and he personally reached out to Fred to help get the history part right. We had the lovely opportunity to meet Fred at Baselworld um, earlier in March to talk about his expertise and also his role in bringing the successful re-edition of the Reference 806 Navitimer to life. Let's get into it. So um, thank you so much, Fred, uh, for joining us today. It's a uh, thank you for to giving be. us your time here. Uh, we're sitting at the Breitling Lounge, and it's sort of made to feel like we're part of the store, as uh, we're, we're in the store as well, right? Uh, it's a bit, uh, it shows us uh, how we were, we're repositioning the brand as uh, a casual, elegant loft, uh, but, but with a lot of uh, sublime taste. So, so this is, it's comfortable, it's not stuffy, it's not highbrow, it's uh, inclusive, we are opening our doors uh, uh, to, to embrace and uh, not closing our doors and then hiding behind counters. This is our way of approaching the, the, the public and, and that setup here represents that in the, in the same way. This is our boutique's look today too. Right, okay. And uh, so you just mentioned to me earlier that um, you've come to Basel for many, many years, but this year is sort of different for you because you're uh, here with Breitling for the first time. Uh, it's not the first time I've been here last uh, last year too, last but but last year was very short, uh, just a month and, uh, after the new team, after Georges Kern took over uh, the company management and, and things were in the early stages of course. Uh, now we're looking back uh, at the first full year uh, and uh, yeah, we're quite happy with what we've achieved, opening up the company, uh, being more secure in, in who we are and I think that this really is, is the most relevant point of all. Whatever you do, whatever you set out to do, be sure about your roots, be sure about your heritage uh, and, and this is where the company is today uh, and uh, this is why uh, I'm part of the team now in respect to, to our re-edition products that we're working on uh, but also in our general approach to, to pride 
in our heritage and, and pride in, in who we are and what we are. Um, many people know you as uh, Watchfred yeah. on Instagram. And if you scroll through your feed, um, I mean, we don't know what your face looks like, but we know you're a Brightling expert. So, um, but can, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and sort of how you got into watches? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm uh, career-wise, I'm uh, uh, been working in the high-tech industries uh, uh, since it, it started to exist. Actually, the late 1970s. Uh, always been a computer guy in management there, not in not in R and D. Uh, but but all my business life was always. Uh, integrated circuits, printed circuit boards, electronics. Uh, so very early, everyone around me was using quartz watches, and I said, "I've enough electronics uh, in my my business life. I'll stay mechanical." So I've always worn mechanical watches, uh, and uh, quite early uh, in my my career, looking at optimizing manufacturing, etc. I started to use chronographs as, as a business tool. Uh, I was standing on the, on the production lines looking at the best ways uh, to, to optimize uh, processes, etc., using a chronograph. Uh, so uh, naturally, actually, uh, mechanical and chronograph, this is what I started to collect many, many years ago, and this is what my collection concentrates on. And uh, w w when you first started collecting, was it already Breitling or did you collect uh, No, it first? wasn't. That's, that's one of the things. Uh, when I started collecting, I knew very little. Uh, so, uh, again, that's something I think uh, important to understand. You don't wake up in the morning and decide from today onwards, I'm a collector. Okay? Okay, yes, so you grow to be one, you start to appreciate something. Then you start to learn about it, uh, and then very slowly you know a little bit, and then you maybe start being a collector. But it's not, uh, it really takes more than, than a decision to spend a little bit of money. Uh, it's, it's a labor of, of, of love for something, uh, and also of, of uh, really knowledge and, and, and studying. So uh, I started out with a beautiful chronograph that I wear until today, uh, but it wasn't a bright thing. But the more that I looked into the technology when I started uh, to slowly be a collector, uh, I started to notice that, that every relevant innovation from the beginning of the wrist chronograph was actually always brightling. They were the first to do anything separate pushers at two and, and multiple pushers and whatever it is, whatever changed the industry, the design, the function of the chronograph, Breitling was always involved in it, typically being the first. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is why Breitling became I'm not only a Breitling collector, I respect many brands, collect several brands, uh, but if you're a chronograph collector and, and have an open mind and don't you know, follow the herd, herd says this and you run there, and herd says that, you change course and run after them. Mm -hmm. If you're yourself, uh, then then in the long run, Breitling will have a very relevant part in your chronograph collection. I see. What other brands have you collected in the past? Then? I'm still collecting. I'm co respecting and collecting Omega. Uh, I love Hoya. Uh, I'm... Uh, collecting lesser-known brands, uh, 
that sadly don't exist anymore or have been re Angeles would be one of those examples. Excelsior Park uh, was a very important maker that, that made the watches for Zenith, made the watches for Girard Pierrego, mm -hmm. made the watches for Gallet. So these are some examples that I said. Many aren't so widely known today and, and are really collector's watches yeah. because they have no uh, current presence in the market. Uh, Universal Genève, of course, is, is also one of those sublime, sublime examples. So I said casting a relatively wide net, mm -hmm. uh, but the core of my collection, uh, maybe because you, uh, uh, most of the others, you know, have short periods. Universal Genève is interesting, interested in the middle 1940s and then in the late 1960s, and nothing in between, more or less. Uh, Breitling was was you know like a powerhouse, like mm -hmm. fireworks. Mm -hmm from 1915 until 1977, and now again. You know, it was to uh, uh, every half year, new models, new innovation, etc. So it's a much wider spectrum uh, that, that Breitling covers. I see. So, um, I mean, for Breitling, I know you're s you started looking into its history and started uh, appreciating the history more because of what they've achieved and they were first in so many things. Um, what was it about the other brands that uh, attracted you to them? Uh, uh, if you look into the products, most of them, uh, what, what makes uh, a watch relevant is that it's creative in some way, not following but defining mm -hmm. uh, functions or designs. And I think uh, you can say that for a watch like the uh, Speedmaster by Omega, mm -hmm. it's an icon. You can say that for a watch like the Navitimer, it's an icon that, that has been around and will be around. Uh, very similar to, to Universal Genève, the, the uh, Nina or the Tricompex. These are icons mm -hmm. uh, that are unique in their, in their beauty and have, have formed uh, uh, tastes and, and reception of, of how chronographs during their period looked. It's the same for some Octavia. So these are the icons that, that, that are relevant, that didn't follow mm. others, not copy others, but went their own way and mm. became iconic. So I this see. is what, what makes me select them. I see. There was a time when Breitling was kind of like lost, not lost its direction, but it was a lot quieter. Oh, uh, that's, that's true. There were, look, uh, Breitling, again, we, we, you have to admire Breitling for staying independent for, for so long, for being profitable, for being relevant. Uh, and uh, yes, there is a time when when you you may not notice the world changing around you. Let's let's maybe the world is changing and and you don't adapt. And then some day you you wake up and 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 you're a bit outdated. You're a bit macho. You're a bit loud. You're a bit big. Uh, and and then you you should sit back and, and think about who am I really? Okay, I'm definitely not the one who doesn't change because Brighton was always the innovator, as we said, always moving the envelope before the others, and and maybe we didn't do that for some years. Uh, uh, so under I mean under a person like like George Kahn, this of course changed immediately this is what he came to do uh, I think he, he found a heritage that in 
some way surprised him because Brighton was a bit quiet about their past, too quiet maybe, maybe people think they were too quiet, George definitely thinks they were too quiet, uh, I definitely agree. Uh, so for the first year we've, we've gone into the archives, gone into the history, uh, looked at watches, looked at stories, at, at wonderful stories actually, uh, and uh, now the, the year shows how, how secure we are in, in where we are today, and I think that, that really sums it up. Uh, being successful in anything you do uh, has to, you have to, to know who you are, where you come from, what your culture is, uh, what your heritage is, what your talents are, uh, and, and, and go and look to the future and, and, and uh, make those ne uh, next steps, but, but make them in, in self-assurance uh, about yourself. And this is, I think, where, where the company is today. Uh, and uh, I think the year was lovely. I think uh, Basel in some ways shows that, that uh, the, 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 the stamina, the, the power, uh, the, the self-assured, it's not loud, we're not shouting, okay? We just are very, very optimistic uh, about the future and, and this is what, it's, is what, right. what hopefully shows. So when George Kern came on board and started looking back into Breitling's history and digging up through the archives, was there a specific period where it was like Breitling's heyday that... Um no, that's, that's the interesting thing. Uh, different from other companies who had short heydays, mm -hmm. uh, who were irrelevant, had heyday, hey, here we are, and then we're gone again. Uh, Breitling, if you go into the history, from the first moment, uh, chronographs came from the pocket to the wrist. Yes. Okay, wristwatches are something relatively new. Mm -hmm. We're starting in the, in the early 20th century, actually. Uh, so from the moment that market existed, Breitling was there. Mm -hmm. uh, and in every period, no matter where you look, Breitling was the leading innovator. So there isn't one. Uh, of course, when you, when you go into, into new products, mm -hmm. you have to decide which uh, period are we looking at as a basis of, of some, some heritage designs. So we can go to the 1930s with the Aviator rate, or we can go to the 1970s with the aviation capsule, uh, etc. So we always choose a period, of course, mm -hmm. uh, but, but we can choose from any. You, you, know, you name a year, uh, name your father's birth year in, in the, the 20th century, and we'll find the watch that is typical for, for his birth year and that was produced then and it that was partly dominating the market. Okay, so there's no period we have to look at. Right. They're all there. Right, okay. okay. And you'll all see them coming back. So yeah. over the next years, okay. we'll take every decade and bring it back. To bring it back, right. And I mean, uh, this year, I think uh, when, when George Kern was speaking at the media summit and like speaking to you as well, uh, storytelling is a huge part of what Breitling is mm -hmm. about today. Um, and you also help design, like uh, bring back this old. It's, this it's a story in itself, of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. What is the story behind this piece? It's, uh, it's an icon, uh, the Navitame again. The, uh, the nice thing about the Navitame, you don't have to explain people mm -hmm. what it is, because if you if you're only a little interested in, in watches, you know you know it. Uh, so we look at, uh, looked at the original designs of the Navitimer 
and uh, Navitimus then changed every year or every two years. So we looked at 60 years back, you know, we chose a year, 60 years, and, and that was one of the years they made a specific bezel and a specific logo that happened to be, in this year they introduced the same logo mm -hmm. on the Navitimer that we are using today as a corporate logo. So we said, okay, that's a nice choice. Let's go 60 years back to this to this year and revive this product. And this is what we did. And uh, again, I don't want to uh, bore your, your your listeners with technical details, but it's uh, in in some ways was impossible when we set our target. You know, make a product that precisely in every aspect, up to the micrometer. Uh, looks like the original but has a very modern caliber inside mm -hmm. and is waterproof so a totally modern watch that in its external appearance and the artisan workmanship used is really uh, 60 years back uh, and, and true in all aspects so that was quite quite a job to do but I think we succeeded nicely it's always better if, if others say it than, than if you uh, say it yourself. I would say the the general reception uh, was was as as positive as as uh, as you yeah. It's as I said, it's a beautiful piece, and it really. I mean, we we're doing things that are stupid in in days when everybody is using robots and three D printers and whatever. We are going back to to artisans who paint numerals by hand. Uh, but I think it shows it. It gives it that that that. Uh, specific uh, spirit of uh, uh, uniqueness yeah. uh, that uh, we wanted what, to um, give it. That's what watchmaking is about anyway, because you can say the whole watchmaking industry is... Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So we're talking about emotions mm -hmm. and uh, every watch, there's there's no two watches alike because mm -hmm. there's there's a human involved uh, in, his, in his pencil stroke yeah. uh, painting the numbers. Uh, it's it's artisan also in in how we're working the case. It it really goes back to to manual mm -hmm. perfection uh, uh, that that was very typical for for Breitling, uh, but with the most modern movement you 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 can have today. This is uh, the movement in here is has many innovations that will phase into other in-house calibers over the next year. So it's our latest most modern movement and and still has the spirit of, of heritage and, and the past. So yeah, it, it has a heart, it smiles at you, mm -hmm. and each of them has, has its own personal character. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it's about. It's about, again, be sure who you are, show your character, mm -hmm. be sure about your taste, don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. And that represents Brightling nicely, and that's the story of this watch. Yeah. Was there a lot of back and forth and um, huge, challenges? <laughs> huge, huge. But now it's easy, you know. Hindsight, uh, look, uh, there, there's things here that are actually, from a commercial standpoint, they're stupid. Uh, like Breitling, one of the signature Breitling design decisions always was that the hour counter head was slightly different from the minute counter and and running seconds. You don't see that. I mean, you have to know that. If you're a collector, you know it. But, but the quote-unquote, even the watch lover misses. Because, it's no, it, it's really so small that you, you, re you really don't notice it. You have mm -hmm. to look. If you know it, you do. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you don't. So they came back uh, to, to the tape production, came back and said, friends, okay, 
I mean, do we really need to do two different hand designs? Because every hand has to be had to be crafted for this watch. Mm -hmm. Nothing was taken from from any predefined components. And we said, look, no, probably nobody nobody would notice. Maybe out of a thousand piece, uh, people, two would see that. Mm -hmm. But if we start to compromise, what next? Okay. Mm -hmm. So no, there was the decision was no compromise. We stay as perfect as we possibly can okay if it's impossible it's impossible mm -hmm. uh, but as long as it's doable we'll do it and this is uh, that's very much is, is the spirit of that of that project yeah. so we're rather proud of it yeah, we're very happy to see it okay with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. what is it like to work with George Kern challenging mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand uh, and uh, it's a pleasure I have been I'm as as uh, you know, as, as I told you, that I've been have a professional life to look back to uh, to, to the 1970s. So I'm I'm, I'm definitely not a youngster, uh, and I've worked with with many people in, in in upper management, many CEOs in many industries, computing, automotive, uh, uh, retail. I I know many of them. Uh, some of them are personal friends of mine, but. Uh, uh, there's there's one huge difference with George. Uh, George will listen to you. Mm. Uh, George, if you tell George, George will expect you to tell him the truth, mm -hmm. your, what you really think, and he will listen to. He will not always, God forbid, follow your your advice. He's his very own very own man, of course. Mm -hmm. But he listen. He respectfully consider it. Mm -hmm and then make his decision because he's the CEO and it's, it's all his responsibility, whatever we do. Uh, so that is, that's a very nice experience because the typical CEO of the past and today, you know, is so sure that, that only he knows what to do that, that he rarely listens to, to, to advice. And that's, that's very, uh, very, very different here. It's, it's a true team spirit and uh, I think he motivates all his team. It's a bit different for me. I'm, I'm not working for a bright thing. I'm a consultant, uh, so it's not my only career. Uh, so, but but I think it's the same. He also treats others. He treats them with respect. They they are enormously loyal to him. Uh, and uh, I mean, nobody can can have the stamina that he has. I mean, I always think that that I'm a rather a conquer everything kind of kind of guy. But looking at at, at the amount of of work. That, that he does, I, I could manage that. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, he's like cycling with the squad members. He's doing all sorts of things. He's doing doing everything. He's traveling like like crazy. And I mean, I get up at we're doing a summit and at, at sev uh, in, in in the evening and at seven o'clock in the morning he's up and, and we're we're starting to to discuss new designs that that haven't existed a, a, a week ago, etc. So yeah, there's a lot of stamina behind it, a lot of power behind it. I think he's. Uh, uh, a true game changer wherever he is, he'll, he'll change everything, uh, but he'll change it with respect. I mean, Georges, Breitling isn't Georges, uh, but, but Breitling has, has risen again because of Georges, and risen not to represent him, but to be itself, and that's very important too, that he respects the heritage of the company, loves, enjoys it a lot, and, and, and breathes new life into it. Uh, that's also very typical for him. Mm. I think, I mean, it speaks to his character that he's the CEO of Breitling. 
but he went out of his way to like find people like you who understand absolutely. the brand. Uh, I mean, absolutely, he does, and and uh, it's it's fun to work with him. Yeah. So, as a collector, what attracts you to a brand, and uh, how easy is it to see through like the smoke and mirrors of different campaigns and like see the true heritage? Um, look, uh, if you're a collector, I think the first thing uh, is is quite similar to what every company has to do is uh, to understand who you are don't copy lead and to to be able to lead understand who you are what speaks to you don't start buying watches because your neighbor has a certain watch and it's the same with companies if you if, if one starts to mimic the other uh, as we've uh, seen with some launches recently that that are surprisingly similar to to each other, etc. Uh, no, uh, be sure who you are, whatever you do, either product or buy or whatever you do, uh, and and this is how I judge. And not all campaigns that I see out there are true to that principle. Some, you know, invent history, some invent stories, and that's. That backfires. Doesn't work, okay? If you if you've never been in an aviation company and you now wake up at the aviation, please, okay, and people are going to question it. Is it true? Or is it just marketing mumbo jumbo? Uh, and I don't think that marketing mumbo jumbo works anymore. Uh, marketers people see through it, social media have, have changed that a lot. Uh, look at the watch industry used to be that in December of the year before mm -hmm. the companies were ready with the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. uh, the journalists were getting all the watches mm -hmm. they should write about for the next year under embargo of course, don't write about this before September yeah, etc. Yeah. But actually it was six months old. Uh, we can't do things like that. We have to be up to date with everything we do. We often work on, on, on uh, last adaptations really until mass production to make it even better and better and better and better uh, and it's the same thing with, with marketing campaigns uh, uh, you can claim anything uh, the market will put you to the test and will very openly laugh about you if the claim is untrue this is why I think the, the triathlons, the, the, the squad it, it really works because works because George is an endurance cycler and and this is his life mm -hmm. uh, because he this is I mean who's who is going to be a Formula One driver most of us probably not but many many of us uh, will be surfers will be divers may have I mean I won't but may look at triathlon as, as a wonderful sport that really puts you to 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 a test so again much more inclusive no barriers no dream about being the next Max Verstappen. Yes, of course, but, but there, there aren't many. But, but be yourself and, and go out and surf and dive uh, and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and then find the right thing that is perfectly right for that. Okay. Um, speaking a little bit about, because uh, y your Instagram handle, your watch Fred. Yeah. Um, how did you get into Instagram and social uh, media? Uh, I've been on, on social media for very long in, in forums actually, uh, in collector forums. So if you had a question about vintage Breitling, uh, 
there is one forum that was relevant and is relevant, which is Breitling Source, and I think I have something like 13,000 posts there, so I've, I've done that for a long time. Documenting the brand, helping people, that's very much what collectors do. Uh, they're a very inclusive bunch, uh, try to, to uh, help the brand, help each other, etc. Uh, so when uh, it's actually not that long that I started on, on, on Instagram, people told me, hey, Fred, why don't you do Instagram? Uh, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll try that. And in the beginning, I was very proud when I had the first 100 followers. Uh, and uh, what really makes my Instagram, I think, relatively, relatively uh, high engagement and, and uh, that it shows my taste. Uh, it... In, in photography, in watches, in watches that I post are, are typically very special, rather unique. Uh, adhere to, to that principle of, of collecting uh, that a watch doesn't have to be valuable. It has to be stellar in condition, it has to be beautiful, and I couldn't care less about value. Mm -hmm. So you have, you'll have $800 and $80,000 watches on on my feet because this is how I collect. I don't collect uh, the, the, the gold value, but I collect the emotional value, the beauty behind them. So this is probably what, what makes my, my feed rel relatively unique. And it's, it's probably also why I know if people copy my photos, you'll have 30 people calling them out and say, this is Fred, okay, uh, because they there, there seems to be a certain language to, to photography too, of course, mm -hmm. uh, and I think I've developed mine uh, right. without showing my face or, I don't know, uh, uh, whatever, but, but I think they're recognizable mm -hmm. in, 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 in how I do them, in the love for detail, etc. Mm -hmm. And what equipment do you use? Do you use like a proper camera? And an iPhone. An iPhone only. <laughs> no, there's an iPhone, and actually there's, uh, for the quality of, uh, no, I have all those cameras, but yeah. I mean, the best camera is the one that you have with you. So if you start setting up perfect photos, they somehow are never perfect. Mm -hmm. they're, they're clinically perfect, but they lack all. Uh, so there's, uh, I mean, I choose my cars. That's absurd. Don't quote me. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idiotic story, and I'll admit to it. Uh, when I choose cars, I test drive cars mm -hmm. uh, to make sure the interior is as, as bright and reflective uh, as possible. So I'm, I, it's always the same car. I've been driving Range Rovers since the 1980s, like Breitling, you know, the one when you're... When you find the one. You find the one, and it's always the one that all the others copied, of course. It was the one that, that made the SUV, and all the others are mediocre copies, mm -hmm. some more expensive, but, but actually mediocre copies. And then, but I really, the, the leather color and the, and the, uh, 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 the roof, etc. I really test before I get my next one. Mm -hmm. uh, I go with my iPhone and I see which one gives me the best light for photography. So actually my car is, is also my photo studio. I see, I see. So that's one of the criteria. For that's actually your one of the criteria <laughs> is how well does it, how, how well is the light, uh, how good is the, uh, the light inside it. You, you've fully gone into the digital age. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But, <laughs> but as I said, as, as, my, as I go, as I'm in the digital age since it existed, uh, actually, I've, I've always been there yeah. longer than, than most others probably. Well, it was very nice talking to you. Pleasure. Thank okay. you for sharing your stories okay. with me. Okay, most welcome.
All right, and then we're back. So that was our conversation with uh, Fred Mendelbaum, aka Watch Fred, on Instagram. You know where we else we can find vintage Breitling watches? Let me guess, auction house. That's correct. So we're well and truly in the middle of auction season right now, and online we have a series of articles that highlight not only the key pieces of the sales, but pieces we think are pretty cool and deserve some attention. Yeah. So our editor uh, Ross Povey has done a series of Povey's picks on the site that you guys should all check out for the upcoming auctions happening at Philips, Christie's, and Sotheby's. So um, yeah. So here are the key dates that you should be looking out for. Um, May 11 and 12 is the Philips Geneva Watch Auction 9. And Sunday, May 12, is the start of the Sotheby's Important Watches in Geneva as well, which runs until the 13th on Monday. Um, what else is there, Kevin? Next one would be uh, Bonham's Watches, which is holding their um, watch auction in London on May 21st. Yep. And then afterwards, it's a huge week for Hong Kong starting on May 27th. The first one is the Philips sale in partnership with Blackbird. And the second one is their annual um, Hong Kong watch auction. So this one will be number eight. Yep. And also Christie's is having their important watches auction on May 27 as well. All right. So that's a lot of auctions to keep track of. I'm sure a lot of incredible pieces will be sold uh, during these, uh, these events. And so if you want to gain a bit more knowledge about the watch auction business, we actually did a previous episode of the podcast with uh, Sam Hines, who is International Director of Watches for Sotheby's Worldwide. So that was a really interesting uh, episode. So you guys should totally just go back and listen to it. And that's all from us. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us comments if you want. And then we hope that you tune in for the next one. 